will have you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, if you truly have, then at some time you're going to experience some suffering. You're going to experience the sufferings for the glories to follow. It's not that we as Christians suffer all the time, but we will suffer. If you desire to live godly in your life at church, uh, at home, uh, at school, out in the world, if you desire to live godly, uh, you're going to be persecuted. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he says, And indeed, all you who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we don't want to hear that. We want a peaceful and quiet life, don't we? That's good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord. But yet within that, there's going to be times of persecution. The Lord Jesus said that uh, if the world hated him, don't marvel in a sense because it's going to hate you. The reality is there is a divide between believers and non-believers. Jesus even made it clear that he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword to divide families. You say, what? why would he do that? Well, when someone comes to faith, you are immediately spiritually divided with those who haven't come to faith yet. We pray that they do. But then what happens is God, uh, through his righteousness in Christ in us, manifest then brings about and will bring about persecution in christ now you may be suffering uh maybe at work uh for doing the right thing uh not being a christian jerky jerk person who is demanding their rights or whatever it might be but submitting to christ doing your work hardly unto him keeping your mouth shut being a, a good good a, a slave of the lord jesus christ you may be persecuted for that uh, you may be persecuted at home with an unbelieving spouse or relatives that don't know Christ. You may be persecuted um, at a school or whatever it might be out in the world. Uh, if you're suffering for Christ, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult at times, and we will all go through that. So if you're going through it now, I pray that you'll be encouraged as we look in the Word. But bank these truths in your heart because guaranteed, if you're in Christ, there will come some suffering, temporal, by the way, for the glories to follow. Bank those in your hearts so that you know where to turn in the context of suffering that will come for obeying Christ. Today, we're going to see encouragement for difficult times. We're going to see that genuine faith will glorify God and it will also bless his people. Turn with me to First Thessalonians. I'm sorry, I keep saying that. Second Thessalonians, and we're looking at chapter one, verses three and four. Uh, we've begun our study of Second Thessalonians, and so with that in mind, I want to share some context to the book of Second Thessalonians. Uh, if you were with us for our study of First Thessalonians, you're probably aware of the context. You might remember in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul, uh, Silas. And uh, Timothy, they came to uh, Thessalonica and shared the word of God for three weeks, and then they were run out of town. But there was something that happened in Thessalonica. They came to faith in Jesus Christ. They responded to the powerful gospel, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. And they turned from idolatry to the one and only true God, to serve him and to wait for his son from heaven, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And as we saw last week, Thessalonica was a, a, a massive metropolis. It was a very wealthy area. It was a worldly area, by the way. 
If you look at the Apostle Paul when he shares about a man that had deserted him, he says, Demas has deserted me, having loved this present world and gone to Thessalonica. The implication is that's a good place to go if you want to be worldly, right? We see that in the cities, right? We see city life and life apart from Christ. We see that. So the Thessalonians had turned from idols to serve the one and only true living God. They had received the word of God. Chapter 2 of the first letter Paul writes to them. They had received it not as the word of men. If you receive God's word as the word of men, you're not saved, by the way. But if you see it for what it really is, the spirit of God has convicted and broken through the hardness of your heart. If you see it for what it really is, then you're going to respond to the word of God. And they received it not as the word of men, but the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Chapter 1, verses, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, uh, verse 13. And now Timothy, now the Apostle Paul, having been bereft of them uh, initially, was concerned about their, their faith, was concerned. They were being persecuted, as we will see today, persecuted for their faith when they came to Jesus. And the persecution, actually, as we'll see later on, increased uh, massively. And the Apostle Paul was concerned about them. So when he was in Athens, he sent Timothy to check in on them. We see that in the first letter he writes to them. And he gets a good report back. He gets a good report back that they're trusting the Lord and they're loving one another and they speak kindly of the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul shares then in the first letter those instructions for this very young church, very young church. And now it's, he does that while he is in Corinth, and it's sometime around uh, uh, spring of uh, 50 A.D. But at that point, it appears that there's been some other issues that have arisen in Thessalonica that the Apostle Paul needs to address. And that's why he writes Second Thessalonians. And if you've studied the book so far, you'll see in the beginning in this first chapter, which we're going to be touching on today, they were going through very difficult persecution and within that, there's the temptation to uh, get out from under it, to uh, not trust Jesus Christ. There's those temptations. And Paul wanted to strengthen them in regards of that. And then in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, we see that there was some trouble spiritually going on, that someone had relayed a letter or a message and had put Paul's name on it, and something to the effect that the day of the Lord had come. And thus these Thessalonians in all their persecution were going through the day of the Lord. But yet if you understood what Paul wrote to them in the first letter, that would be too problematic because we see the day of the Lord comes after he removes his church. So they're wondering, are we in the day of the Lord? And so he shares the reality of the day of the Lord won't come unless these certain things come, which means you didn't miss God's coming for you first. You didn't miss it, Thessalonians. Yes, it's tough, but you didn't miss it. And so then he encourages them, he encourages them so that they wouldn't be shaken or disturbed by a message that was appearing to come from them. And then we see that uh, they were, uh, instead of, the, instead of the, the, the destiny of the day of the Lord for those who don't know Christ, instead they were to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the end of chapter 2, having been chosen from the beginning for a salvation through faith, in the faith in chosen for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth, Second Thessalonians two thirteen, and therefore uh, the Lord wanted to through Christ to comfort and strengthen their hearts for every good work and word. 
You see, yes, we do suffer, but God's comfort is, is abundant if we're willing to go to him. He is the God of all comfort. And this book is a comforting book because it shows what they're truly going through and what God is doing in the midst of that. It also protects them from those who are false. And then in chapter 3, after requesting prayer and affirming the Lord's protection of them, the Apostle Paul relays his confidence that these Thessalonians are going to continue to obey the Lord's commands, which leads to the last issue, a command that he needs to reiterate and share. Uh, Chapter 3, evidently some people were so enamored with the coming of Christ, they had quit their jobs, and they had become a burden on the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul would have to remind them of what he taught them and exemplified for them when he first came to them, which was they need to work with their hands and eat their own bread. And if they didn't obey the truth of these things, that believers were not to see them as, as enemies, but they were not to associate with them so they'd be put to shame and then obey the word of God and be right with the Lord. And so after three chapters, uh, short chapters, we have the Apostle Paul writing his second letter to the Thessalonians. And evidently, it's very close to the timing in which he had written his first one. In the the beginning of the first letter, he says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And in the second one, he says, Paul, as we saw last week, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, which means they're still together which means this had to have been during this 18-month stay in Corinth. So it's probably only a couple months after his first letter, which means this church is still under a year old in the faith. And the Apostle Paul expects them to know the Word of God and to obey the Word of God because they have a real relationship with the God of the Word. See, the problem in churches these days is people dumb down the Word of God because no one's obeying it because they don't have a relationship with Christ. Therefore, uh, they don't share the Word of God and people are, are, if they are believers, they're not fed, and people who aren't believers feel as though they're following the Lord. But the Apostle Paul shared truth with these Thessalonians, deep truth, uh, in the first three weeks of being with them. He says, remember what I shared in First Thessalonians. He also reminds them in Second Thessalonians about what he had shared. And so the reality is, if you're a true believer with the Spirit of God and sin's not in the way, you can receive the Word of God and you can start learning and building and growing in Christ. So with that in mind, I want to point out one last thing about this book before we get into our passage. Uh, We have within this book uh, Christ mentioned once. We have the Lord mentioned ten times. We have the Lord Jesus three times. We have he, him, or himself referring to Christ nine times. And we have the phrase Lord Jesus Christ nine times. This book is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about Christ and therefore what he has determined and declared will happen and how we are to and able to endure the difficulties and the troubles that come upon us for following Christ. So with that in mind, today we're going to see encouragement for difficult times. Now, some of you may be in difficult times because you're not saved. You're just reaping the consequences of your sins. If you sow, you're going to reap. Some of you may be saved and you're still reaping from previous sin. Well, so do the Spirit. You'll eventually reap from the Spirit, okay? But admit it, I'm reaping from my consequences. Some of you may be believers who are being disciplined by the Lord because we all are going to be disciplined if we're legitimate children. I'm not talking about those things. Now, God can use suffering as discipline to us, absolutely. But we need to recognize our sin. So as I share this message, don't just think anything bad in my life is suffering for Christ. No, it's suffering for righteousness sake that he's talking about here. Suffering for Jesus, for obeying him and following him. And if you're a true believer, it's going to happen.
And when it happens, what do we do? We need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. Because uh, we're gonna, as we're going to see, genuine faith uh, will bring about thanksgiving to God, and it will also encourage other believers. And so we're going to look at the genuine faith of these Thessalonians, which should encourage us. Should encourage us. Okay, let's take a look at our passage. Um, I'm going to read the whole chapter again as I did last week. Actually, I'm going to start at verse verse 3 after the greeting we saw last week. But I'm going to read through because literally this is, I mean, I love the way Paul writes. It's a run-on. It goes all the way through. When I was in school, run-on, run-on, take off points. I like this. Paul is giving a run-on here. It's, a, it's one basic sentence. It's basically a sentence from verse 3 all the way to the end of the chapter. So we need to remember that. Even though we're looking at verses 3 and 4, it's connected. It's connected. So don't forget that. It says here in verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each of you towards one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. That's what we're going to look at today, but let's keep reading. This is, now notice it's in italics, it's implied to try and, that's not originally in there, but it's helping us in the translation. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Remember that. For after all, it is only just for God to repay to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, there's a wonderful passage. And we're not going to get into the later portions here, but the Lord's saying, hey, yes, you are suffering greatly. You're suffering greatly, but I haven't missed a beat. I'm going to take care of those who afflict you. Just trust me, at the right time, he's going to take care of that. And so with this in mind, we come to our passage here. And we see here the beginning. And I want to point out the grammar of our passage, of the two verses we're going to look at today. Uh, in verse 3, we have this statement, we ought always to give thanks to God for your brethren as is only fitting. Okay. Then we have a reason. Look at the word. Because your faith is greatly enlarged, the love of each of you is toward each other grows ever greater. Then in verse 4, we have the logical conclusion. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. That's the basic structure of this passage. And you may have noticed that this passage is about faith. It's about faith. It's about faith. 
And I believe we're going to see that increasing faith in Christ brings about continual thanksgiving to the Lord. To the Lord. Again, verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. He shares an interesting statement here. He says, we are literally obligated in debt to always give thanks to God for you, brethren. He's saying we're indebted to continually, habitually give thanks to God for you or concerning you. And he says, brethren, he says, brethren, he's speaking to Thessalonian believers. They are brethren. You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ for salvation from your sins, you are delivered from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You become a child of God. You are now in a relationship with your heavenly father through Christ who loves you. And we become children of God and thus brethren, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ from with one another. First John 3 verse 1. See how great a love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. How much love that is. We were separated by sin. We were a rebellious a creation of his, and, and we were in rebellion and sin, but by Christ we were reconciled. We are now his children. And he says, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And he's going to go on and talk there in First John. Tremendous reality. This is to believers. This is not to make believers. This is to believers. Those who've truly trusted in Christ. Who've truly trusted in Christ. And so he says here, um, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. Now, later on in this same book, in chapter 2, verse 13, he's going to use some of the same language. Notice this. Look a little farther up. And he doesn't use this in any other places, basically. He uses this here with the Thessalonians, which is very interesting. Second Thessalonians 2, 13. But we should always give thanks to you, brethren. He's, and actually, the word ought is in there. It's the same phrase. We're, um, we're indebted. We're indebted to give thanks. We're indebted to give thanks. Now, why did he say it there? Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks there. But now, in the beginning of this letter, he's giving thanks for some other reasons. He's giving thanks. He says here, we ought to always do it. And notice, he says always, and there's a reason, because we ought always to give thanks to God for you. And he's saying here, uh, as is only fitting. We'll look at that in a minute. The term, it means, it literally means worthy. It, it comes up on the scales of balance. It is worthy, you actually are worthy of us giving thanks continually to God, and we are indebted to do it. What's happening in your life is worthy of thanksgiving. It's worthy of thanksgiving. Now he says why? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting or worthy or the right thing, because your faith is greatly enlarged. Notice that because... And the love for each of you towards one another grows ever greater. It's fitting. It's the right thing. Your, uh, what's happening in your lives, he talks about their faith and their love, is worthy. It raises the stand up in the balance of worthiness to give God thanks. We are obligated 
to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. And this giving of thanks is worthy or appropriate based on what has, what has happened. And notice he says two things because of two specific things. Your faith and your love. He's going to talk about that. But he's going to talk about the qualities of the faith and love, which are that which is worthy of giving thanks. Notice he says, first of all, because, of your, fa- because your faith is greatly enlarged. Greatly enlarged. And now he uses a Greek word here, hooper, adzano. Adzano speaks of growth. It's usually spoken of of plants growing. Look at the lilies in this. You know, they grow. When you see plants growing, you know, it's adzano. And, and we see in Acts, it was translated increasing concerning the word growing or the, or, or the word going out and God saving people through the word and the church was increasing. And they would say the word. The word was increasing. You see that throughout Acts, that little phrase, which was pointing to the fact that the word was bringing changed lives because of what it shared concerning Christ, and the church was growing. It was growing. It was increasing. And then we see also uh, within that uh, this idea of speaking of the faith, uh, the faith growing, as we're going to see here. But also it's used to speak of the body of Christ growing and every joint supplying one of natural growth in a sense. Natural growth. But what's interesting, he doesn't just use this word, adzano. He adds this uh, Greek uh, prefix in a sense. It's in the Greek language, hooper, which makes it speak of it this way. Growing abundantly or to increase beyond measure. Uh, NASB says greatly enlarged. Greatly enlarged. Now, what was the object of their faith? A lot of people have faith. James chapter 2, the demons have faith, right? But it's not a saving faith. It depends on what the object of your faith is. And what was the object of their faith? Remember, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 8, 1, verse 8, their faith was in God. And their faith had been broadcast throughout Macedonia and Achaia. You see, the reality is our faith is in Jesus Christ. What does the Apostle Paul, or what does, excuse me, what does James tell his readers in chapter 2, verse 1? He says, Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. Our faith is in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. God, who took on human flesh, who lived the perfect life, who went to the cross as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And within that, we believe in Jesus, but we also believe in what he says. We believe in his word because it's his word. You see, uh, the reality is, if we truly believe in Jesus Christ, we're going to believe what he says. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. We're going to believe the truth of what he's done for us. We're going to believe in the truth of what's revealed in the word of God concerning us also, by the way. The truth of his word that convicts and also corrects and trains and teaches us. Indeed, in chapter 2, verse 13, and I've read it a couple times, we see that the Thessalonians were chosen from the beginning for a salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. We believe in the one who is the way and the truth and the life, and we believe in his truth. Jesus said his word is truth. He shared when he prayed to the Father, sanctify them, speaking of believers, in thy word. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. 
So their faith in Jesus and what he has declared, their faith in Jesus and what he has declared was flourishing beyond measure. That's an amazing thought. And guess what? If you see someone whose faith in Jesus is flourishing beyond measure, you're going to get excited about that. You're going to be encouraged. Because there's not a lot of faith out there. There's a lot of faith talk, but not a lot of genuine trust in Jesus. Believing what he says, no matter what you feel or see, we walk by faith, not by sight. And these Thessalonians were real believers, not make-believers. They were real believers. Yes, they had troubles. Yes, they had some sin that they needed to deal with. But they were attempting and trusting to trust the Lord, and their faith was growing, flourishing abundantly. He says, it's superabounding in growth, so much so we are indebted to give praise to God. We have to. we got to give praise to God because it is absolutely amazing what he is doing in your lives. Now remember, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. If you've got sin in the way, forget it. But you need to confess sin and allow his word to work in your heart. He's saying your faith is flourishing beyond measure. So I ask you, is your faith growing or is it even superabounding? Are you trusting Christ more and more and more? Or are you faltering and focusing on the things of this life and trusting in self and others or whatever you might think might happen? Is your faith superabounding? You see, as things get more difficult, and it was for them, by the way, we're seeing that their faith was genuine. And it obligated Paul, and it obligates us if we see it, and as we see it, to give praise and thanks to God. Now, how is it we grow in respect to salvation? How do we grow in faith? How would our faith superabound? Well, the reality is we need to put off sin and receive the Word of God. You can receive the Word of God all day long, but if you don't put off sin, you're not going to hear it. You're going to be like the, the guy who looks in the mirror and sees himself and what's wrong, but he, the Bible's revealed that, but walks away and forgets. You're going to be a hearer and not a doer. But you need to set aside sin. James 1.21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, that means I believe what God is saying and I'm humbling myself to receive it and I'm confessing my sin, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, putting aside... All malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Putting aside sin, I confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Putting it aside, he says, like newborn babes, he says, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Our salvation is by faith, right? In Jesus Christ, through his word working in our hearts, and then he grows us in the same manner. We saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, that it is the word of God which performs its work in you. Yes, you need to be in the word of God. The one who meditates on it day and night will be like a tree, firmly planted, right? Stable, fed, eternal in a sense, with leaves that never fade, Psalm 1. But you've got to confess sin. You've got to see yourself rightly. You've got to be teachable. You've got to be reprovable. Reprovable. We saw that in Psalm 50 earlier that was read. Reprovable, not one who rejects that, but is teachable. One pastor writes, The apostle painted a picture of abundant and above-normal growth of a fruit-bearing tree, 
Spiritual growth is the work of God accomplished through the preaching of the word in the midst of the trials of life through the prayer of the saints. I'd agree with that. So then the Thessalonians have an ever-increasing faith that demands and is worthy of thanksgiving to God. Praise the Lord. And when you see that in your brothers and sisters, be thanking God for their increased faith. It's worthy of it. It's worthy. What God is doing in their lives is worthy of praise to the Lord. And that brings him glory, not us, by the way. So we see here um, this primary manifestation of faith, actually. You say, what is faith? Well, what does it look like? Well, we see in John 15, the Lord Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. He says, apart from you, me, you can do nothing, right? But faith is going to manifest in something. A genuine faith is going to work. It's going to obey the Lord. It's going to obey the Lord. Genuine faith is going to manifest in a relationship where one trusts the Lord and obeys the Lord. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Hey, that's him writer got that right. Look at John 15, John 15. Faith is going to manifest as we're going to see in a love for one another and obedience. It's going to manifest. It's going to manifest. And every increasing faith is not personal and separate from the body of Christ. It doesn't isolate. First John, or excuse me, John 15. These things I have spoken to you, verse 11, that my joy may be in you. That's what the Lord desires and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, what? That you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one day will lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, when we trust in the Lord God, it's going to manifest in obedience to the Lord God. When we believe what he said, then we're going to obey him by his spirit in his power. This statement comes after he says, abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's trusting, relying in Christ. And so if I rely in Christ, I'm going to then manifest that faith by obeying him. Look at 1 John. And we're going to see this in our passage also, that it has to do with the love of the body of Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, speaking of uh, John, speaking of the Lord's commandment, that we what? Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the commandment, okay? And what? Love one another, just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. You see, when we rest in Christ, we're going to have a different demeanor. His word will work in our hearts. His spirit will empower us to change our minds, our thoughts, that we would follow him and obey him. Our minds renewed. He says here, and we know this by this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So what's the first fruit of the spirit? Abiding in Christ, trusting in him, faith, right? What's the first fruit? Love. The first fruit of resting in Christ is love. Look at a little further down in 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9. By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And how do you know if you're loving the brethren? How do you know if I'm loving? How do I know? Is it uh, going to the food bank? Is it doing this and that? Is it just simply tasks? The, the world and the worldly church says love is doing these specific things for the poor, whatever it might be. Not saying we don't help those in need. But what is love? How do you know as a believer that I'm trusting Christ and from that trust I'm loving? How do I know? Look up in 1 John 5, 1 John 5. Whoever believes, notice the idea of faith here. This is it's, it's sandwiched in faith, by the way, as we read through this. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Now you think he's speaking of Jesus. Well, no, he's speaking of the brothers and sisters. Notice what he says. By this we know that we love the children of God. Here's how I can know I love you. Here's how you can know if you love me, and vice versa, and we love each other. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, we see his, his desires higher than ours. That's love, right? We care about him more than we care about ourselves. We care about his will more than ours. And he says here, uh, and observe or keep his commandments. That's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the same word. It's commands. You know, disciples, Matthew 28, were to, 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 just to baptize, that's just firm their saved, then teach them all that Jesus did and said. That they would obey him, right? So you can know you love the body of Christ when you're obeying Christ in relationship to the body of Christ. You see, if Jesus says through his word, we're to be forgiving. If I don't forgive, I'm not loving you. I'm not obeying him. Jesus said in his word, love covers a multitude of sins. If I'm holding on to stuff, I'm not loving you. Jesus said in his word, through presumption comes much strife. If I'm presuming, I'm not loving you. If I'm trusting him and allowing his word to work through me, then it's going to manifest in a genuine love for you. So we can see that. So the evidence of genuine faith is, I believe, primarily love, which is manifest in obedience to his commands. So he's saying, your faith is superabounding. You are trusting Christ. And the evidence, I believe, is the love here. Notice what he says back in our passage. He says, we ought always to give thanks to your brethren as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love for each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. Now you say, yes, I know that love is a result or, or a manifestation of faith, you know, but it doesn't really say it. it just says faith and love here. Well, later on, he's going to say, we speak proudly to the churches of your perseverance and faith. He doesn't say love. Faith includes that. Faith includes that. He says the love, that's agape love, self-sacrificial love. It's what we saw in 1 John earlier. The love you have towards one another, it's personal. You cannot stay away from the body of Christ and say you love the body of Christ because you love yourself, because you don't want to go through the difficulty of relationships, because people are sinners. He who separates himself seeks his own desire and quarrels against sound wisdom. Proverbs 18.1. So he says here, the love which you have each of you towards one another. 
he says it grows ever greater. It's personal, and it grows ever greater. The word uh, translated here, uh, ever greater, uh, basically uh, speaks of uh, overflowing, overflowing. So your faith is growing like a plant, but it's superabounding, and your love is at the brim, and it's flowing over. It's flowing over. And Paul says, basically, we were obligated. It's only fitting and only worthy to give continual thanks to God for these things. We, we just, we're obligated. It, your faith and love is, is worthy of praise to the Lord because it is God who brings that about. Faith comes from hearing, right? It is God when we trust in him that loves through us. His character is manifest in us. It's not like we were before we were saved. His character is manifest in us towards one another. Now, we saw previously um, uh, in 1 Thessalonians that they had love. It's a genuine manifestation. They did. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul constantly bore in mind uh, their work of faith and labor of love. Hey, they did. They were genuine. But it's increasing here. We see in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, they didn't need to be taught about love because God taught them to love one another, Right? We see in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, he says here um, in chapter 3, and I'll read this for you. Uh, actually, I'm going to wait on that. But in chapter 3, actually, the important part that I want to share is, actually, let's go there. Chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 3, verse 11. And the reason why this is so important is, guess what? They were loving, but Paul is going to pray that they would superabound in their love. And guess what happens? It's answered. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may our Lord cause you to what? Increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He prayed back then, a couple months earlier, may God do this. And guess what? He's done it, and we are obligated. Obligated, because your faith and your love is worthy of praise to God. It's worthy of praise to God. Brothers and sisters, when your heart is tuned to hear the word of God, to trust in him and obey him, when you trust in Jesus more and more, when your faith increases your love will also overflow for one another. And God will get all the glory and praise. But if you find yourself selfishly separating from brothers and sisters, and not hypocritically hanging out, but selfishly separating, I would posit to you that your faith is faltering because your love is missing the evidence of faith. And what's the big problem? Sin is in the way. And sin starts with an S, and so does self, and that's usually how it's connected. Confess your sin, get into the word of God, allow God to renew your mind, believe what he has said, trust in Christ, abide in him, and allow his spirit to work out that fruit, which is love. And that will be manifest in obeying God towards one another. If you're not obeying God's word towards your spouse, you're not exhibiting Christ's love towards your spouse. If you're not obeying God's word towards uh, uh, your work, in a sense, in terms of you're not exhibiting his love even in that context... When we obey the Lord God, it's going to be manifest, especially within the context of the body 
of Christ. So he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, it's worthy. Because your faith is greatly enlarged, it's growing and abounding, and the love of each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. It's actually, that word, as I said, is overflowing. Overflowing. Hey, if you're a believer and you see that, it's going to cause you to praise God. You see an increasing, growing, abounding faith. You see an overflowing love. You're going to go, Lord God, we praise you. You are so good. You're so gracious. Look at the work you're doing in them. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your work in them. Wow. Wow. And guess what? It's a great encouragement in the midst of difficulties. When you're suffering and you see the faith and love of true believers, it's an encouragement. It's encouragement to endure. It's encouragement to trust Christ. It's encouragement to walk out and step out in the context of love. So then we see it because of their faith flourishing beyond measure and their love for one another overflowing in Christ, we're obligated to thank God. Now some of you might say, okay, well it's easy to trust God when things are going good, but when things are bad, like in my life, it's much harder to trust God. Well, I'd say to you, you're not thinking correctly. Because if you continue, and as we will continue looking at these Thessalonians, they were suffering greatly. They were suffering greatly. They were in persecution and difficulty and affliction beyond what we have experienced. And so we're going to see that their faith uh, was ever increasing in the context of difficult suffering for following Jesus. And I believe we're going to see that along with this increasing faith bringing continual thankfulness, we're going to see that their faith endured and brought about blessing and encouragement to others to trust God likewise. Look at verse 3 again. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and your love for each of you towards one another grows ever greater. Therefore, therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Do you notice the term therefore in verse 4? Now in Greek, there are several different words that can, can be and are translated therefore. They have a little different nuance in each one. This one here, hosta, basically is a coordinating conjunction and it expresses a consequence or a result. That's why the New King James translates it so that. And that's a good translation too. Therefore, or so that. The, the logical consequence of this is this. You see what I'm saying? That's what verse 4 is about. It is the logical consequence of giving praise to God for what their faith and their love has manifest uh, and is worthy of that praise. So that. So Paul is saying, because your faith is flourishing abundantly and your love for each other is overflowing, it is worthy of continual thanks to God and we are obligated to do so, so that, or with the result, that we ourselves, that's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we talked about them last week, speak proudly of you among the churches of God. Now, where were they? They were in Corinth. So there's obviously the church in Corinth, but there's churches there, the churches of God. The body of Christ is the church, by the way. For your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and all your afflictions which you endure. He says at this point we find the Apostle Paul boasting. 
boasting to the churches of God about the Thessalonians' perseverance and faith. Um, and this faith is what he spoke of in verse 3 and manifest also in love. And this perseverance and faith in the middle of verse 4 is in the midst of something. All your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So he says we speak proudly, or literally you could translate this boast. We boast. And folks, whenever we as Christians hear the word pride and boasting, it's an anathema to us, right? (laughs) And rightfully so, we get a reaction. Pride, boasting, right? Because usually it's in the context of self or man, right? Yet here, the Apostle Paul is not boasting in the Thessalonians, He is boasting in their flourishing faith and increasing love and the perseverance and faith in the midst of their persecutions and afflictions. And that is what God is doing. He's boasting in what God is doing in the lives of the Thessalonians. And he's boasting to the other churches. Look at these Thessalonians trust Christ in the midst of all they're enduring. They're flourishing in their faith and their love is overflowing. Take a look at this. Take a look at this. And we need to take a look at it. And that's why God's given it to us, right? You see, if we boast, we're not to boast in man. He's not boasting in the Thessalonians. He's not saying they're so great. He's saying God is awesome and great and look at what he's doing. Because the Apostle Paul would never say that we boast in men. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He would never say we boast in men. As he talks about the foolishness of the gospel to shame the wise, he then explains, you see, God made the gospel foolish so that you'd be shamed if you're wise in your own, if you're not willing to humble yourself as a child. You'd be wise and you're onto your own damnation. He says to the believers who believe the foolish gospel, the simplicity of it, he said for, in 1 Corinthians 1.26, he says, for consider your calling, brethren, that's when you got saved, that not many of you were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, that's us, by the way, to shame the wise, that's non-believers. And God has chosen the weak things of the world, that's us, by the way, to shame the things which are strong, that's those who, are, who don't know Christ. He says, and the base things of the world, that's us. And uh, the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that's us, that he might nullify the things that are, that's those who are prideful within themselves. That what? No man should boast before God. That's man's problem, is pride. You see? By this, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. He did it. Who became wisdom to us, wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I believe that's a, a paraphrase of what we see in Jeremiah 9.23. And we've sung the little song with that, but turn to Jeremiah 9.23. It's a wonderful portion. Jeremiah 9.23. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 9.23, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom... Let not the strong man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this. That he understands and knows me. 
that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Paul will say it later on in 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone boasts, boast in the Lord. And Paul is boasting in the Lord here to the churches. He's boasting in the Lord to the churches. Now, the Apostle Paul did have to boast in a sense, uh, but when he boasted, he always boasted about what God was doing, about his own life. 2 Corinthians 10, the Corinthians were, uh, were listening to false apostles. You can look, see that in verse chapter 11. They were yoking themselves, uh, chapter 6. And the Apostle Paul, to defend his apostleship, has to boast in what God was doing through him. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 13. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere in which God has apportioned us to measure, to reach even as far as you. Then verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 10. But he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. For not he who commands himself is approved, but whom the Lord commands. When you boast, it's in what God has done. And when he's boasting these Thessalonians, he's not saying, look at how great they are. He's saying, look at what God has done in their lives. Their faith is flourishing abundantly, and they are loving one another. It's overflowing. It's overflowing. So back in um, chapter uh, 1, verse 4, back in Second Thessalonians, he says, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, And what's the boasting about? For your perseverance and faith. Now, he doesn't say love because inherent in love, from the verse before, inherent in faith is love. Your perseverance and faith. You see, there are people out there that have external love, but they don't have faith. That's not real love, right? So he says your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. We boast proudly among the churches of you for two things, your perseverance and faith in the midst of all the stuff you're going through. Now, the term translated perseverance here comes from the Greek word hupomone. You may recognize it. Mone means to remain or abide. It's the same thing Jesus said, abide in me. Remain. Hupo is under. Remain under. That's perseverance. That's endurance. If you're going through a trial and you know the Lord is allowing it and you're, you're, you're not to escape it, you remain under it. That's enduring. You're remaining under. He says for your perseverance, you could translate it in endurance, but I'll show you why he doesn't in a minute. You see, it's a remaining under. And don't forget where endurance comes from. Endurance doesn't come from pulling up your spiritual bootstraps to pull yourself through. Endurance is directly related to Faith being proven. Turn to James chapter 1. James 1. So he's saying, hey, we thank God. We boast about uh, you guys for your perseverance and your faith. But where does perseverance come from? James 1 verse 2. Consider it all. That means to mechanically reckon as if you were using uh, an accounting system. There's no emotion to it. Consider, reckon something to be true. Consider it all joy. When you're in a trial, it's not joyful, but you reckon it to be joy. God's going to bring joy out of it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you what? Encounter, the word speaks of a ship coming up and, and hitting a reef. All of a sudden you've hit it. Encountering various trials, knowing 
that the testing, the word testing literally means to test to prove something genuine. When they would test metals, they would test them to prove that it is genuine. That the testing of your faith does what? Produces endurance. When God allows your faith to be tested and he shows you it's genuine, you really are trusting in Christ, you really are trusting in him, that produces endurance in the trials. It produces endurance. And he says here, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So he says back in our passage, you're enduring. You're enduring. And we, are, we, are, we speak proudly of you to the churches about that. You're trusting Christ, and it is producing endurance. You're remaining under. You're not escaping. You're not trying to get out of it. You're enduring. You're enduring. And then he talks about your faith and your faith. We talked about that already. They're trusting God. They're trusting God, and they're enduring. So we share with the churches, wow, look at the Thessalonians Praise the Lord, they're trusting Christ. But notice what he says, it's in the midst of something. In the midst, end of verse 4, in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. And we just go, oh, afflictions, persecutions, I don't want to hear that. You know, it's okay to have a reaction to not wanting to go through evil. The Lord Jesus... uh, was willing to do the Father's will, but he recognized what would happen on the cross. He said, if this could pass, he wasn't sinning. He said, but yet not my will, but thy will be done. We pray, maybe, Lord, it could pass. But if not, Lord God, I trust you. You're going to help me endure. You're going to grow my faith in this. You're going to be glorified in it. You're going to do good out of it, as we'll see in a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm going to understand your word rightly and see it and apply it to my heart rightly. So he says you're in the midst of your persecutions and afflictions. We'll talk about those two words in a minute. Doesn't sound good. He says, which you endure. Interesting now, because he uses a different word. Often what we saw earlier translated perseverance is translated endure. But here's why he didn't translate it endure. They didn't translate it because of this word here, which they needed to translate as endure. This is a different word. This is a different word. It, it's on echo, and it speaks of exercising self-restraint, putting up with or bearing with. Bearing with. It's translated forbearing in Ephesians 4.2. Bearing with in Colossians 3.13. It speaks to upholding up, to put up with. It even is translated, how long shall I put up with you in this sense? I bear with this. So he's saying your persecutions and afflictions which you are bearing under. You're bearing under those. You're not only enduring, but you're bearing under those. You're bearing under those. Now, what are these things? What are these persecutions? Well, the word persecutions, and it's persecution here, it's plural, means multiple persecutions, uh, literally means to chase or pursue. It came to speak of persecution. So uh, when one persecutes, they don't let up. They pursue you with words or, or, or physically even. We've seen that in a sense with the way people speak evil of our leaders, right? Pursuing, 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 not letting up, right? You've seen that. It's it's pursuing, persecuting, either with words or physically. The term afflictions is also in the plural, 
speaks of multiple afflictions. It comes from the Greek word flipsis, which means pressure. When we are going under difficulties, it's like we're being squeezed in. It's pressure. It says they're afflictions. They're afflictions. They pressure you. They bring pressure upon you. They inflict you. And there's multiple ones. But you guys, you are enduring. Now, what were these afflictions? What were they? What were they? Look down a little farther. We're going to see this next week, Lord willing. But notice what he says in verse 5. We're not going to study it today, but I'm going to show you what these afflictions are. He says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of what? The kingdom of God for which you are indeed suffering. They were not suffering for being jerky Christians. They were not suffering for their own sin. They were suffering for the kingdom of God. They were suffering for the kingdom of God. And he says, for after all, it's only just for God to replay with affliction those who afflict you. There were people afflicting them. They were afflicting them. They were suffering. End of five. And in end of six, those who afflict you. This is real. Not all have faith. There are those who persecute believers and afflict them. And he says there, ultimately, you're suffering for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Remember I shared in 2 Timothy already, indeed those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. The reality is when you want to do the right thing, you're going to be persecuted. Not always, but you will be persecuted. Remember what Jesus said in John 15. He said, uh, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. The reality is they were persecuted. We know from back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, that they had the persecution. You can read this later. We saw it when we studied it. They were persecuted by their own countrymen in the same way the Jews who came to faith were persecuted by their own countrymen, the same ones who put Jesus on the cross. They're not pleasing but hostile to all men, Paul says. We also see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'll just mention it since time's running out, that in the persecution, Satan was also tempting them. That's in there too. Now, we're not being driven out of town, folks. We're not being killed yet. But at times, we will experience persecution if we are the blessed, if we are allowing Christ's righteousness to be manifest in our lives. Matthew 5, turn there as we finish up here. Matthew 5. He says in verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for what? The sake of righteousness. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed if you've been persecuted for Christ's righteousness in you. Blessed are you when men do what? This is persecution, by the way. Cast insults at you and uh, persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely uh, against you falsely on account of me. That's persecution. That does happen to us, by the way. If you want to follow Christ, you're going to be persecuted, and that's certainly going to happen to you. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So these brothers and sisters were being afflicted for their faith in Christ. 
They were enduring. They were trusting in Jesus, bearing up under it, not escaping, but trusting Christ. And God would ultimately take care of them. He would deal out retribution. Notice who the people are who were persecuting them. Verse 8 in Second Thessalonians 1. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the type of people who we're persecuting. They don't have a relationship with God, and they have not obeyed the gospel. They haven't believed the, the command to repent. They haven't obeyed that. They haven't believed the command and obeyed the command to trust in Jesus Christ. And usually this persecution comes through the religious. We see it all throughout Scripture. It's those who are religious that usually persecute those who are true believers. That's what we see usually. Now, again, I don't have time for it, but when we went through the book of First Peter, we saw that God uses these persecutions for our good. He uses the testing of our faith to produce joy when Christ comes and joy now. Uh, he uses it to enable us to be ready to give an account for why we have hope. He uses it to open doors for the gospel when we respond rightly in the midst of difficulties and persecution, when they slander us and say all kinds of evil. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. You see, persecution and suffering for Christ is an evidence you're his. And remaining under it is an evidence, as we see. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing or for your proving, your proving of your faith, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share what? The sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing. So that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. It's going to bring great joy. If you are reviled for what? The name of Christ. You are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's saying if it's happening because of Christ, you're blessed. You're his. It's manifesting. But don't be persecuted for sin. Notice what he says. By no means if anyone suffer as a murderer, thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler, just someone who meddles in people's business. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. The reality is the Lord is affirming our faith and who we are, affirming who we are, and he's manifesting it, and it is causing and bringing about endurance in our lives, and it's bringing glory to him. You see, we need to understand what God is doing through these things. And when we do, we're going to trust him even more. Our faith is going to flourish. We need to understand from the word how he's using it even to open doors for the gospel. You can look throughout First Peter. I don't have time for that. And he's using it to give us joy right now and eternal joy when he comes. When I see it right, it enables me to remain under when Jesus is holding me up under that. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love for each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. He's saying, look at these Thessalonians. You see their persecutions, their afflictions, they're enduring. They're trusting in Christ. Their faith in him abounds. Praise God. Praise God. 
So it's an encouragement for us. When you encounter persecution, look at the Thessalonians. Look at them. You see, your persecution and the difficulties you go through are opportunities and venues to trust Christ and to give him glory, that others would praise him and glorify him and that people might even be saved. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for uh, the example of these genuine believers, this Thessalonian church, those who are with you right now, I thank you for them. I thank you that by your grace, they trusted your son, Jesus. They believed your word. They endured. And they loved. And it overflowed. Lord, thank you for this example. Thank you for this encouragement. Lord, when we go through difficulty, when we go through afflictions and persecutions, may we look to your word to be encouraged that we might trust you, and in that faith we will then endure unto glory where you are exalted and we are rejoicing with exceeding joy. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this opportunity we have to see your work in your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.